0: Hi, and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the locals weekly news podcast. Thanks to all our regular listeners for tuning in. And if you're new to the podcast, we hope you enjoy it and do make sure to follow it wherever you listen to podcasts to get it delivered safely every week. In this week's episode, we are going to give you an update on the fallout from the highly controversial court ruling we discussed last week that hinged on an interpretation of the word snipper. And with tax. Declaration season soon upon us. We'll provide some handy tips to get you through it. We'll also talk about how food prices in Sweden just keep on rising to new record levels and how you can save money. We'll have an interview with Taiwan's representative in Sweden. And finally, for our main topic today, we'll examine how and why the far-right Sweden Democrats have become more radical since being welcomed in from the cold by the parties now in government. I'm Paul O'Mahony, and with me to discuss all this in a very snowy Stockholm, we have James Savage and our guest for today, who is Jonathan Lehman from the Expo Foundation. And in Malmö, we are joined by Becky Waterton and Emma Lovegreen. Hello, everybody. Hello. hello. hello, And welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. We'll be hearing a lot more from you later. But uh, for now, can you please just tell listeners a little bit about yourself
2: and the Expo Foundation and what it does? So I'm a researcher at Expo. I've been there for over a decade, actually. Um, the Expo was founded in '95 to monitor far-right extremism, organised racism, because there needed to be a magazine, a journalistic product that would cover these groups all the time, not only when there is a, has been an attack or a major rally or something, but just following it all the time, gaining an expertise. And so that's why Expo was founded. And my field at Expo is looking at far-right extremism specifically. And when I do that, I also come across Sweden Democrats, in a way. So that brings us to today's topic.
0: Exactly. So the Sweden Democrats aren't one of the main focuses of your research because they've sort of distanced themselves from this more extreme movement.
2: Yeah, it's actually colleagues of mine who are looking into SD more closely. Uh, But my work is um, usually um, oriented towards the more extreme. Great. Thanks for that, Jonathan.
0: And okay, let's start with an update on the awful court case we talked about last week. And just to recap, a man who was initially found guilty of raping a 10-year-old girl was cleared by an appeals court after judges failed to agree on whether the girl's use of the word snippa referred to the external or internal parts of the female genitals. And the ruling sparked a massive public outcry both online and offline, with street demonstrations taking place around the country over the past week. But one really interesting development was the decision by two of the lay judges in the case to resign from their positions at the Court of Appeal. James, can you tell us about the circumstances? Who are these judges and why have they stepped down?
3: Well, these two judges, they're both men, and they're what's known as nemdeman, that is to say, lay judges. That's people without judicial training who are appointed, by political parties to judge in court cases alongside a professional judge. There's always a professional judge um, there in the middle. These two were both originally Social Democrats. They were appointed by the Social Democratic Party. But it's important to note that lay judges, while they're appointed by parties, they're supposed to carry out their duties independently. And this is the issue now. So after the case led to controversy, mm. you know, hashtags, demonstrations, lots of articles in the, in the press, these two quit following conversations with party officials. Mm. And this is the controversy because this is kind of seen to, in, uh, many people have, have, have raised questions about whether this compromised the system's independence and the independence of these judges. According to the party official who spoke with them, these were quote, normal coaching conversations. Mm. Um, He just wanted to support them, he says. A local MP, Matthias Jonsson, who also spoke with them, said he wanted to gain an understanding of the issue. But see, the result was, that they quit. And there's the controversy. This has been criticised by people including um, leading lawyers, not least the former justice minister, a social democrat, called Thomas Bordström. And his point is that look, we criticise Turkey, we criticise Poland, we criticise Hungary Mm. when politicians get involved in individual cases. In fact, it's a massively controversial issue right now in the EU, with with Poland and Hungary in particular. And he says that this action by the social democrats threatens to undermine the impression of independence that Sweden's judicial has or you know the, the, its reputation for, for, for independence, so that's why he and and others with him are are saying that, that this was a, a bad move by the social democrats mm-hmm. and they should be they should have been much more careful. On the other hand, others have pointed out that it doesn't necessarily hurt the social democrats right now politically to look like they're being tough on crime. So there's this kind of balance that the social democrats are, 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 are having to uh, having to find in this. But you know they are coming in for some criticism, particularly these uh, these local politicians.
0: Just one little point there. You said that they had conversations. With the party, do we know were they called to a meeting with the party, or did they go there of their own accord? Uh,
3: they were. It was at the party's initiative um, right. to, to to have these have these conversations. Now, there's a slight kind of sliding scale. There. From the party's point of view, you know, these were conversations. It was just a sort of it was just a, an informal chat around the issues mm. that just happened to lead to, the, the, to these two resigning. But obviously, from the outside, what you really don't know is what you know what was the, what was the real tone of those conversations in the meetings. And of course, when the impression is created that it was possibly a reprimand or something like that, that these these two were getting a reprimand from politicians for the way they judged. And, you know, you could interpret it that way from the outside. Mm. Then it it obviously creates issues and and controversy and has done.
0: Right. And Jonathan, could I just bring you in there and and your perspective on the Sweden Democrats? I mean, do they ever criticise court rulings? And if so, what form does their criticism tend to take?
2: Well, it, it does have uh, criticism more or less formulated that this court ruling is wrong. Yeah. But uh, And this is the kind of stuff we can see from other directions too. But it usually adds like another layer, like heavy SD politicians have, have used such language, basically saying that this shows that there is some kind of liberal ideology behind these rulings. That basically mm. it's not one court ruling that went wrong, uh, according to them. It's um, a sort of phrases that sort of undermine the system as such. So that's quite common when it comes to SD. So that there's something like wrong with the justice
0: system at its core. Exactly.
2: It becomes more of a attack on on our sort of constitutional democracy. Right. But of course, it can be argued that even this case from the Social Democrats is also undermining, but it's in a slightly different way, I think.
4: Is that kind of linked to the deep state kind of conspiracy theory that, you know, there's this, I don't know, group of high up politicians that are stopping? It, It
2: does. I think it does relate to that. I think it's uh, it's quite similar to that.
3: Mm. Yeah, this idea that there's a sort of a there's a there's an effectively a, a some sort of liberal or, or, or left wing consensus right. that, 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 that stretches beyond politicians and into the justice system, into into civil into the civil
2: service and yep. and, and and that kind of thing. Absolutely, it can be argued that with this sort of far right push to sort of politicize the courts and these sort of attacks on liberal democracy or constitutional democracy, it can be argued that it becomes even more important for politicians to be more careful and to not maybe act as the Social Democrats have done in this case. Yeah.
5: Right. It was also like, like it was a controversial court case and there were several weird things about the ruling, but it wasn't so weird that it showed that they were kind of wildly incompetent at their job and absolutely should be dismissed.
2: Yeah, I think it's important also to add that it's not a a case of uh, lay judges sort of taking a completely different stance than the judge. This sort of responsibility for how this turned out is on not only on these uh, social Democrat appointed uh, no. uh, lay judges I think that's important to add
3: exactly you know there was the, there was the professional judge in the middle who came to the same conclusion yeah. as the, as the lay judges
4: you can't start making judicial decisions based on what the public thinks like that's the, the whole point of a judiciary is that you have someone else that decides someone who's separate from the public separate from p- from politicians that, that decides kind of what's what's right and wrong when when you look
3: at law. I don't know. Yeah, and uh, look, this isn't just a Swedish principle. It's a it's a Western democratic principle that politicians don't get involved in individual court cases. They don't fire judges because they make decisions that the politicians find distasteful or just plain wrong. You don't do it like that. Judges are independent and once they're appointed, they're appointed and they're only that they, you only get rid of them for issues of gross incompetence, and really then it shouldn't be the parties getting rid of them. It should be the courts themselves. The courts actually have systems. If they have a problem with a with a particular nemderman who is for whatever reason deemed unsuitable is, is, is not behaving themselves then the non-political head of the court um, the prof- a professional lawyer can fire them effectively and then ask their parties to appoint someone new so you know it's not supposed to be the party's role to sort of pull people out of the courts.
0: Okay, thanks everybody for that roundup. And now it's that most wonderful time of the year when the Swedish state requires us to file our income tax returns. When, Emma, do we get the pleasure of submitting our returns, and when can we expect to get money back if we're owed
5: a rebate? Okay, so if you have a digital idea like Bankidea, for example, you should already be able, like. At the time this podcast is, you know, published, you should already be able to log into the tax agency's website, skatteverket.se, to view your tax declaration. And they are pretty good. Actually, they're very good at filling in all the details for you. For example, a freelancer will have a side hustle, in which case it's a headache. But unless you need to make any changes or add anything to it, all you have to do basically is to just tick the box to say, yes, I approve this. And you can do that from this coming Monday. So March 14th. Okay. Now, if you don't want to make any changes and you're happy to approve it digitally, that means either online or by sending the tax agency a text message or calling them, and you do so before the end of March then you'll get any tax rebate that you're owed in early April. The tax agency also sends out a paper version of the tax declaration, which I like Mm -hmm. submitting because it feels, I don't know, it feels more genuine and fun. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: a fine fun, Emma.
4: (laughs) Submitting
5: your tax declaration,
0: Paul.
4: I just like getting posts. I think it's exciting (laughs) to just get something in the post. Ooh, they like me. (laughs) Oh my god, that's pathetic.
5: (laughs) But (laughs) anyway, you can look forward to getting this paper version of the tax declaration between mid-March and mid-April. And if you'd rather use this, or if you have any changes that you need to make to your declaration, or if you did just didn't get around to approving it digitally by the end of March, then the final deadline to approve it is May the 2nd. Mm-hmm. And you'll then get the rebate in June. Or you could get told that you haven't actually paid enough tax and you're in arrears and you'll have to pay Kvarskat, as it's called. And this is what tends to happen to me. So that's fun. Oh, is it really?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I thought most people um, tended to get money back.
5: But there you go. I don't know. I guess the local just doesn't take enough tax out of my salary. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I'm getting money back. I got my, I got my declaration yesterday. So quite excited.
5: I've had to pay like 5,000 kroner for the past couple of years. Oh.
4: Oh.
1: I think well, my first
4: yeah before I started working at the local, or I think the year I started working at the local, I'd been working freelance before that. And I got a tax bill of like 50,000 kroner. But luckily, I knew it was coming, so I had it all sitting in an account to pay it. But that would not have been nice if I hadn't been aware of that.
3: No, it's always a lot more work when you're a freelancer doing all the, doing all of this, all of this stuff. It's a very nice thing about being employed.
5: At least you get quite a few months to pay it back. I think if you're in arrears this year, you have to pay it back in like September or something, or this autumn anyway.
0: And do you have any tips for making the process as smooth as possible?
5: So if you don't have to make any changes to your declaration, the process is already extremely smooth. You just click yes and send it off. But actually, before you do that, you may want to take a second to investigate if there are any deductions that you can make. I actually got an article on the local about handed deductions. So for example, like just to take one example, if you live more than two kilometres from... The place where you work, you can deduct part of the cost of your public transport tickets. And I used to live near Uppsala and work in Stockholm. And I was able to deduct like 11,000 kronor on my public transport tickets every year. Blimey. So that's pretty good. And if you need help filling out your tax form, you can obviously read the locals' guides. But you can also call the tax agency. And this may sound a bit strange, but Skatteverket often comes out top in surveys about which government agency is Swede's favorite government agency because if you're a Swede, you have to have a favorite government agency because we're that kind of country. <laughs> but they have a reputation for being pretty nice and helpful and surprisingly flexible as well. Yeah. I also have one secret hack for you that may or may not work. So I haven't tried it myself, so I don't know if it's true. But they have an English helpline for people who don't speak Swedish. And I've heard from people that the English phone queue is usually shorter than the Swedish phone queue. So even if you've learned Swedish, this is a time when you may be able to use a foreigners to your advantage and just call the English version instead.
3: Hey, even if you're Swedish, why not? Exactly. <laughs> Cut the queue.
0: Thanks, Emma. Really good tips there. And we'll put some links in the notes to some of the articles you've mentioned for anyone who wants more information on filing your tax returns. Let's talk about the price of food now. February saw the biggest food price increase in a single month since price monitoring site Matpriskollen started keeping records in 2015. And Becky, you've been covering this. What are some of the main price increases to watch out for in Swedish supermarkets?
4: Pretty much everything, to be honest, unfortunately. One thing I found interesting was when I was reading this report by Matpriskollen, the CEO, uh, Ulf Mazur, said that when prices first started going up, like food prices, it was mainly items that were kind of grown or produced in the agricultural industry. So dairy, fresh produce, that kind of thing. But he's saying that now prices are rising on everything. And then the specific things that were rising the most were a little bit of an odd mix, really. It was like peppers, rice cakes, tomatoes, villing, which is this kind of watery porridge gruel that Swedes give to the kids, as well as aubergines, melons, courgettes and weirdly specifically filled fresh pasta so it is a very odd mix but uh, i think a general rule everything is going up in price and then these were the specific things that had gone up the most in february
5: i've never felt more like a privileged millennial than when i a few months ago decided to just stop buying avocados because they're really (laughs) expensive and you can
4: never be sure
5: if it's good or not
4: yeah (laughs) it's really become a treat now I'm like oh maybe I'll treat myself to an avocado splurge that kind of thing and then you
5: open it up and it's all rotten yeah it's like right never doing this yeah. again
4: yeah
0: yeah I know um, Becky you've all you've also updated the article we have on how to save money on food and drink in Sweden and we'll add a link to it in the show notes but can you pick out some key points for us
4: well one of the main tips is actually related to the items that have gone up in price tomatoes are really expensive right now they're not in season like they're they're expensive to produce in Sweden but if they're produced in Sweden at the moment they're made in kind of heated greenhouses in the south of Sweden where electricity prices are higher so yeah. one of the one of the best ways of saving money at the moment is buy seasonal produce which is usually cheaper also it's usually cheap because it's a little bit less exciting you know people don't really want to be eating like turnips they want to be eating <laughs> delicious tomatoes, that kind of thing. So, March is actually what's known as a hungry month when it comes to vegetables. There's not really that many things you can harvest at the moment, right. but you can still buy tin tomatoes. You can buy preserved vegetables, you know, if you, if you really want to make something exciting. Like, to just go for like the canned varieties or like winter vegetables that can be stored. And then another really good tip is to shop around. So, you can save a lot of money by doing a weekly shop. Sweden's cheapest supermarkets so are usually Villiers, Lidl, or Citygross. Try and avoid going to smaller inner city supermarkets markets that are usually a lot more expensive. And then if you really want to save money, you can check for discounts in advance. We've got an article up on the local with with these tips and links to all of the different coupon sites and, you know, deal sites for all of the major supermarkets. And then you can even plan your weekly menu around what's on offer on each supermarket. So that's a good way of saving money on food at the moment.
3: And then the governor of the Riksbank will be very, very pleased with you because this is what he's saying. This is exactly what he's saying you should do. He said, don't accept high prices. Shop around, look for bargains, and then you can help to bring down inflation in Sweden. So it won't only help you, it will help the country.
0: So we're all doing our bit here by...
3: Doing our bit.
4: You can also do what I'm doing and grow your own vegetables. I've just... uh, planted some cucumbers and some aubergines, which are going to be growing in my window this summer and this spring. So if you want to save money on fancy vegetables, grow them yourself. You don't need a garden. I don't have a garden.
0: Great. Thanks for all those tips. uh, Becky?
5: To
0: our ambassador series now, I sat down recently for a chat with Taiwan's representative in Sweden, Clement Gu. And Sweden doesn't have official diplomatic relations with Taiwan like the rest of the EU and the United States and some other countries. Sweden adheres to the so-called one China policy, which accepts Beijing's view that there is only one official China, but does not endorse China's view that Taiwan must become part of the People's Republic of China, or PRC. What this means in practice is that Sweden maintains strong ties with Taiwan, not least when it comes to trade. And we'll have an article on the site in the coming days about Swedish-Taiwanese relations and how Taipei's representative is enjoying his time in Sweden. But first, in the excerpt we're going to hear in a moment I asked Clement Gu what a country like Sweden can do to support Taiwan given the simmering tensions with its much larger authoritarian neighbour. Let's hear what he had to say.
6: From the point of Swedish government, Swedish people, they understand Taiwan is not a part of the PRC. Mm. That is the first one. And second point is, if you said how could you support Taiwan? I mean, nowadays Taiwan, we are on the front line of uh, authoritarian expansions. Therefore, this tension, actually not just only between Taipei and Beijing, but the so-called democracy and authoritarian. Concrete to your question is, number one, please send more delegation to Taiwan. For example, your... Your politician, your parliamentarian, they can visit. In ta- Actually, yeah. many European countries, they visit in Taiwan. Yeah. Number two, international participation. We want to use a way of so-called meaningful participation. That means uh, not apply to so-called membership, but, but so-called observer. And we try use this uh, low-key profile way in the functional international organization as observer for example WHA, ICAO International Civil Aviation Interpol, International Police Organization Mm. and UNFCCC so in this regard we do hope in this May um, 21st May to 30 May, there will be held WHA assembly mm-hmm. in Geneva. And hopefully, the representative of uh, Sweden can indeed uh, use this opportunity to speak up something, support our, mm-hmm. application, our application of so called uh, observer in the WHA. And uh, last but not least, you know, because now it's a democracy vis a vis. So called authoritarian. Somebody knows that already. I said always Taiwan, we have very good tea. We have very good black tea, green tea, mm. high mountain tea, oolong tea, bubble tea, even our guarantee. However, the best tea in Taiwan is our democrat tea. In this sense, we are belong to the same group. Democratic countries should support each other and sit together and do some command action.
0: And do you see any, any difference between how Sweden approaches Taiwan and how other European Union countries okay. do?
6: Yes, uh, actually in uh, last year already totally 10 countries, they speak up their uh, support yeah. in the Geneva assembly. Mm-hmm. So actually uh, in comparison to the other you know, European Union, Sweden, I mean, I, I said Sweden support but somehow uh, can do more more energy in such uh, we call international participation for taiwan
0: You've just been listening to the representative of the Taipei Mission in Sweden, Clement Gu. And as we heard, he is calling for more explicit support from Sweden, specifically in relation to gaining observer status at the World Health Assembly. James, how likely is he to get this support?
3: Gosh, it's hard to say. So Sweden, as you were saying earlier, Sweden doesn't formally recognise Taiwan as a sovereign state. And like the rest of the EU, it follows this one China policy, which means that it recognises the People's Republic of China and not Taiwan. Although you know, it does support Taiwan's participation in the WHO and the International Air Transport Association and other, and, and, and other bodies, often as an, with observer status, but nonetheless. Mm. But what will affect Sweden's judgment here is whether it feels confident it can make a stand on an issue without reprisals from China. Right. Um, so this is what it basically dictates... I think the EU's policy towards Taiwan... And Sweden's policy towards Taiwan and most Western countries policy towards Taiwan. Most Western countries don't recognise Taiwan as an independent state because they're afraid of, chi- of China somehow exacting revenge for doing so because China really doesn't like that. And China has inv- significant investments in Sweden. It owns Volvo and, and Swedish companies have um, big investments in China, particularly companies like Ericsson. Right. So it's in the balance whether Sweden will support Taiwan in this particular instance about the WHA, the World Health Assembly, and um, I think it will only do so if it's got from lots of other European countries
0: mm. I mean he mentioned that 10 countries took a stand on that last year and did push and, and there were some Western European countries in there France and Germany for example yeah so you know it's, it's not like Sweden would be going out there completely on a limb
3: Sweden wouldn't be wouldn't be going out there on a limb but it's going to be a judgment about whether you know because Sweden is um, you know Sweden is not France Sweden is not Germany Sweden is a smaller country mm. it has significant dependencies on China so it will be a question whether they decide in the, within the government that this is that this is a standard that they can take. I mean, you can see that the the, the government that we've got now has, you know, Ulf Christian, for example, has been quite pro-Taiwan while in yeah. opposition. But obviously, it's a different issue when you come into government, and you have to um, you have to balance very, very, various, right. various different interests. Right.
0: And last month, Sweden appointed a new representative to Taiwan, Anders Volter, and Sweden received a lot of criticism in diplomatic circles for allowing the previous representative to spend most of his time in Sweden over the past few years rather than in Taipei. But the government made clear when announcing the new representative that he will be permanently based in Taipei Is this a sign that the new government is more supportive as you say of Taiwan than the Social Democrat led government was or how do you interpret all this?
3: Yeah maybe a bit I mean like like I was saying Chris and Yuan Peshan the li- Liberal leader have been quite sort of gung-ho about Taiwan while they were in opposition much mm-hmm. more so than then Social Democratic ministers were however now the, the tables are turned and they're in government yeah. so we shall see but the fact They've they've gone from having this you know a quasi ambassador who was based in basically based in Stockholm before to having a the quasi ambassador based in Taipei. That is a step in the direct a little little baby step perhaps in the Mm -hmm. direction of of supporting uh, Taiwan. But ultimately, like I said, there's too much at stake here for Sweden to go out on a limb. I mean, just for an example, look at Lithuania, which. Made the, what looks like a very, a very small step of allowing the Taipei mission in Vilnius to call itself the Taiwanese mission yeah. in, in, to Lithuania, and that led to a downgrading of diplomatic relations. The um, Chinese withdrew their ambassador from Lithuania. Um, it spilled over into uh, controversies with it within the EU, and you know caused difficulty for other EU countries. And Sweden won't want to end up in that position, particularly as Sweden's dependencies on China are much greater than Lithuania.
0: Okay, great. Thanks for that. Now on to our main topic for today. The far-right Sweden Democrats made history in September when they secured 20.5% of the vote to become the second biggest party in the Riksdag. One of the ways the party managed to become so successful was by distancing itself from the extremism that characterised the party in the years immediately following its formation in 1988. But when the Expo Foundation released its annual report on racist political movements in Sweden last week, one thing that really stuck out was how much the Sweden Democrats seem in fact to be moving closer to the more radical fringe at a time when they have finally become a part of the Swedish political establishment. For example, leading Sweden Democrats are now embracing the alternative media landscape they previously asked their politicians to avoid. And we'll look at how all this is happening in a minute. But first of all, Jonathan, can you put this in context for us? How did the Sweden Democrats distance themselves from their roots in the neo-Nazi movement?
2: So that process has been over many years, of yeah. course. So if we look at the, at the mid-90s, they changed party leader from uh, their first party leader, who was a member of a Nazi organization, the Nordic Kingdom Party. So they changed to a former center politician, uh, Mikael Jansson. They mostly in the mid-90s focus on the appearance, the, the visual Uh, the optics of uh, the party, with these rallies with the Nazi skinheads being in the forefront of the the marches, etc. So they're calling on people to, uh, yeah, on Hollywood Nazis to stay home because they are drawing ridicule on the party, etc. So that kind of stuff from the mid-90s, not so much change in policy. We still see, you know, this idea that... uh, people who came to Sweden after 1970 should be expelled, and uh, um, for some time we still see that hanging on. But in 1999 they changed that policy, they right. dropped that policy. And in 2000 the party leader Mikael Jönsson expresses disgust with Nazi ideology. In 2001, this is very important I would say, there's a, a split after an internal conflict, and the National Democrats are formed. And here the Sweden Democrats can sort of point, now we have expelled the Extremists, mm. and they condemned SD condemned this party as crypto-Nazi, and uh, uh, in 2005, uh, SD officially adopts a policy of open Swedishness, yeah. where being a part of Sweden is a, a cultural—it's um, about cultural homogeneity rather than ethnic. Homogeneity. That's
0: a really important change, isn't it? It is
2: an important change. However, the these phrases about ethnic homogeneity sort of still linger on for a couple of, uh, of years in some other parts of the of the documents. But but it is an important shift and it causes the white supremacist, far-right extremist environment to view SD not as pure nationalists anymore. Right. And SD also shared a party symbol with other with far right extremist parties like uh, uh, National Front and uh, French Front National and the uh, Belgian party. And they changed that uh, symbol to a flower, the Hepatica. I think that's <laughs> Is what, that what, it's what it's called. Uh, in, I don't know what it's called in Sweden. Uh, that's, the Blors, uh, that's, Blors, Blors, I have no yeah, idea. Yeah. No yeah, idea. I, I looked up, <laughs> it's, uh, that's
3: the Latin term, I think. It looks a bit like a daisy. It's like yeah. yellow in the middle with white flowers. And previously it
0: was, it was, a, it was a, this flame, right, yeah, that was used by exactly, a, lot of, a yeah. lot of racist groups, yeah.
2: Exactly. So, and then uh, uh, in the 2000s, SD starts to model itself more after populist far-right parties, such as the Danish People's Party, right. a party they also claim to be, uh, close to and, and uh, being in- inspired by. And also then in 2015 they expel the SD youth the youth wing again showing people now we have expelled the extremists
0: Yeah, so and they, com- com- they completely shut down their youth wing.
2: Yeah yeah, they did. They tried to get rid of the party leader, the youth wing's leader, yeah. a couple of times. And when they failed to do so at the Congress for that, for the youth wing yeah. a couple of times, they expelled the whole youth wing. And those are the people who founded this party to the right of the Sweden Democrats. Alternative, Alternative for, for Sweden will we'll yeah. probably get to more. And then also, of course, the zero tolerance policy in uh, 2012, yeah, a decade ago, saying that there is no room for extremism, and yeah, they will be more strict with that. And uh, here we see this, the, the SD starting to name and shame a lot of, uh, a few of these uh, far-right extremist uh, news outlets, yeah. and expelling people who share uh, propaganda from those sites etc so we see this
0: mm. yeah people were told not even to click like on facebook exactly right? yeah from because the party it could be secretary. seen as a sort of a tacit um, acceptance of these views
2: yeah and so it's never been like consistent and it's always sort of protected people closer to the leadership and mm. the party but it does it has had an effect and the party i mean th- this uh, pol- this policies policies sort of brought Sweden Democrats closer to this being a social conservative party that they claim to be.
0: Right. Jimmy Åkesson joined the party in 1995, right, and he joined around the same time as this the the Gang of Four that sort of formed the, the new ideology. How much are they tainted by having joined at a time when there was still... A sort of a, a Nazi stain on the party.
2: Yeah, uh, we were actually able to show that Oksan started even during Anders Klarsjöm's time. Right. Uh, so, it, so even, even in '94, he was. Uh, so he Anders Klarsjöm Kla- was the the, uh, the, Nazi, the Nazi activist who, right. who who was the first party leader in the Sweden Democrats. Yeah. So actually, Jim Oksan even started in '94.
0: But they so um, yeah. Jimmy Oksan when he took over as party leader in in 2005. Mm. So he and the group closest to him, they formed this new ideology. And Matthias Karlsson was, was sort of a chief ideologist yeah. in the party, right? And a, a lot of this was centred around open Swedishness. Can you just explain a little bit more about the open Swedishness concept? Because it is so important to understanding how they moved away from sort of the Nazi past.
2: Yeah, and so basically it's it's a way to to do that, of course. And uh, yeah, it, it's it means that Swedishness is cultural uh, rather than, than ethnic that anyone regardless of skin color background should in theory at least be able to be a swede it it's yeah. not a matter of of uh, which countries you come from, but of course this is also combined with generalizations that have you know traces of racism sometimes in them uh, where where some groups are described as culturally so distant from Sweden that this process is almost impossible so of course there's sort of room for tarring, um, painting um, um, different minority groups with mm. a with the same brush, right. uh, even even there, but still, it's 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 still not um, it's something different from from the race based right racism.
0: I remember a couple of really concrete examples around that time. I think it was in the mid two thousands when high up representatives of the party said that Slatan Ibrahimovic he wasn't Swedish, mm. but Henrik Larsson, another beloved yeah, black, exactly. black footballer, he was Swedish. Yeah, exactly. And because he was more, he was seen as being culturally Swedish and he, he, was, he was quite reserved and he had these sort of uh, characteristics that you identify
2: with. And the party has since st- tried not yeah. to use uh, talk about individual cases because they felt that this Slotland debate was a bit embarrassing for them, talking yeah. about someone's body language or, yeah. Yeah, and things like this or Standing in a queue or things like this, um, that it becomes very problematic. And how do you view, you know, people who who are um, who have Swedish background but are not uh, yeah. good at standing in line? I mean, it, it does create some some problems. And yeah,
0: so you've given um, you've given the the background on how they how they moved away from that sort of dark past. But you've written quite a lot recently on how you see that they're sort of moving a little bit back in that direction. And can you give some examples of how you think the party has moved closer to the more extreme fringes of the nationalist movement and sort of when this when this change happened
2: yeah it it happens uh, well it happens after the election of, of uh, 2018 more clearly right uh, in the election of 2018 they're still sort of describing this alternative for Sweden party to the right of them as extremist based on them not adhering to the open Swedishness right so what we see in the years after the election of 2018 where this sort of alternative media world was very sort of critical of of SD and more pro-alternative for Sweden, yeah. we saw that SD sort of changed here and started to sort of, in 2020 for instance, SD started to celebrate the sort of the far-right alternative media environment without specification, without calling some of them extremists, etc. Mm. So we see that uh, sort of starting like that. And then Sweden Democrats, uh, high up, uh, pe- pe- people high up in the Sweden Democrats appearing in these programs. The official SD accounts sharing far-right extremists uh, media platforms, links, yeah. uh, material from those sites. So basically, if you look at people who have been expelled previously, you could actually expel people high up in the Sweden Democrats' based on that logic, based on (laughs) on the motivations behind previous uh, expulsions. Right. Uh, so, so I think that's quite interesting. We see also the party recruits pundits who have expressed support for far-right extremism and uh, ethno-nationalist views who appear in far-right extremist chat rooms, who build relations with far-right extremists, saying that they are welcome to the Sweden Democrats. These previous breakaways were just personal conflicts. They're not important. Right. SD should be a broad church. SD politicians using ethno-nationalist language and expressing these ideas about the Swedish Swedes being replaced, yeah. which is usually so tied the, to... The great replacement theory. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and also, uh, Sweden Democrats inviting prominent far-right extremists to speak for regional branches, also inviting individuals who called for a revolution to overthrow our government yeah. during uh, the pandemic based on the Swedish comparably lacks uh, restrictions right. and recommendations. Well, basically, being very involved with that sort of anti-state um, extremism during the pandemic. Inviting such a representative to the to the parliament,
0: like what Becky was talking about earlier, sort of deep state conspiracy theories on type people.
2: Yeah, uh, exactly. And so we see this the lack of these sort of red lines to the right of the Sweden Democrats have one by one more or less been removed. Mm. I mean, not all of them. They still view, for instance, the neo Nazi Nordic resistance movement in the same negative light. Uh, Mm. And that would still be uh, a cause for being uh, expelled. But it's rather actually the sort of sphere that they previously, about 20 years ago, called crypto-Nazi, this sort yeah. of environment around the National Democrats, that party does not exist anymore. However, this sort of media outlets sort of came, when they failed to compete with the ballots, they're sort of competing with propaganda, and yeah. there's a way to sort of make money through that, or gain money through through uh, state support. So we see that some of these who have failed in the elections are sort of remodeled to sort of propaganda, and it's it's that sphere that yeah. once was called uh, crypto-Nazi that is now it's much closer to the Sweden Democrats.
0: That's all we have time for today. But for anyone who wants to hear more about how the Sweden Democrats have become more radical since losing their pariah status, we have an article on the site um, that we'll link to in the notes about the report that Expo released last week. And we'll also make the rest of this interview with our guest, Jonathan Lehman available in the coming days in a bonus episode if you have feedback or ideas for the podcast you can find a link to a survey in the show notes or you can always email us at news at the local.se. if you're not already following Sweden Focus, make sure to hit the follow button in your podcast app our panelists today were james savage becky waterton and emma Lovegame. our sound engineer is reese edwards I'm Paul O'Mahony, and we'll be back again with that bonus episode I mentioned on Tuesday, followed by our next news review on Saturday. Until then, take care.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.